the indian smartphone penetration is very high uh, india continues to be one of the biggest markets for mobile phones uh, globally and the pandemic was a revelation you know during the pandemic you know we realized uh, you know the far and reach of mobile phones uh, we had to migrate from call centers to digital assets overnight and you know our customers uh, you know very willingly accepted the launch of you know digital assets be it our bot be it whatsapp be it our app you know be it access to our portal you know we were able to get them to you know migrate to digital assets almost overnight and even today 80% of our servicing is to digital digital assets Today's episode is brought to you by Exigence National. Exige is an executive search and recruitment training business that Fiona and myself have been working on for the last 19 years. We provide technology and innovation focused executives to the insurance and wider financial services sector with a focus on the UK and Swiss markets. We love working with businesses and leaders who share our values here at Exige. There's a humility, integrity, assertiveness and resilience. And if you want to find out what our clients say about working with Exige and how we could deliver your search in 4 to 6 weeks, then please do check out our site exigeinternational.com and Exige is spelled E X I G E. And as a business, we donate 10% of all of our search revenue to forest protection charities. We do some great work with Rainforest Trust UK and have already contributed and protected some of the world's most important habitats. The other part of our business is training where I teach a 6-week program called Found. It's, this is where we teach executives how to interview and hire their dream team. It's a really easy 6-week program where at the end of it I can show you exactly how you can interview and select with confidence a world-class team. If you have a search or you'd like to discuss recruitment training, then please visit our website exigeinternational.com. Exige is spelled E X I G E. and tell the team William sent you. In today's episode, I interview KVD Poo, the president of operations, communities and customer experience at Bajaj Alliance. Bajaj Alliance is the largest private general insurer in India. So having their president of operations was a fantastic opportunity to explore what it's like to do true digital insurance at scale. in the world's second most populous country India India has some truly stunning statistics 1.326 billion human souls speaking 20 different languages and according to statista they have 687.6 million internet users today and what is fascinating is of those 629 million access internet through their mobile phone simply incredible we have a lot to learn from the indian market about digital product use in a young mobile population so i hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as i did and without further ado i give you kb deepu deepu welcome to search with purpose it's an absolute pleasure having you here today thank you very much for being with us i will uh, thank you for having me on your show the pleasure is mutual fantastic well 
Deepu, um, let's jump straight in. And I'd like to ask you about insurance in India. So what is unique about insurance in India? Well, uh, unlike, uh, you know, a lot of markets, uh, you know, India is unique in uh, quite a few ways. For one, uh, customers speak, you know, multiple languages. So therefore, uh, you know, when you indulge in digital transformation, you need to ensure that, you know, you're catering to customers in the language that they understand. So I think that's something which is really unique about India. Secondly, the uh, insurance product still continues to be a push product, you know, in the Indian context. The penetration levels are about one third of uh, global uh, penetration levels. And therefore, uh, you know, there is a need to, you know, take it forward. Uh, in fact, people have done research, you know, research scholars have come and told me that a lot of people have a fatalistic, uh, you know, bent of mind in the sense that you know, they tend to believe in fate and destiny and therefore you know they may not you know feel the need for insurance so i guess you know these are some you know socioeconomic factors you have to deal with you know when you're in the indian context on the other hand i think india is digitally very advanced because india has leapfrogged uh, several nations in terms of its digital assets so there are a lot of uh, folks you know whom we call born digital natives you know who are people who have for example, never been to a bank branch and would have carried out all their activities on the mobile. And India also happens to be one of the youngest nations in the world. So I think the combination of youth and digital savviness uh, also, you know, makes it ripe for insurers, you know, from a digital disruption perspective. Mm. So I'd like to pick, you know, these three aspects, multilingual, fatalistic attitude, and uh, youth combined with uh, digital savviness. Yeah, that's interesting that the multiple languages, I mean, how many languages are we talking about here in India? Well, uh, well, uh, officially India has, uh, you know, nearly 20 languages. But if you look at dialects, you know, if you look at, you know, the number of uh, languages that, you know, people speak as well, I think India has, you know, hundreds of languages. In fact, wow. I think it's very difficult to put a number on it. Wow. I mean, 20 <laughs> and, languages uh, alone is yeah, incredible. In excess of 20, in fact. Yeah, because... Uh, Bill, the way India is uh, geographically uh, split is on the basis of language, you know. So, for example, if you go to the south, right, you will see Kerala, where the language is Malayalam. You go to Tamil Nadu, where the language is Tamil. If you go to the east, you have West Bengal, where the language is Bengali. If you go to the west, you have Gujarat, where the language is Gujarati, right? And then you, uh, you know, go to uh, the north, right, where a lot of states speak Hindi. So, India is, you know, linguistically, you know, very diverse. And how does that affect doing business in India? I, I think uh, on the one hand, Indians have been very, very adaptable. Uh, so I think, you know, there are enough uh, people, you know, who speak the language of uh, their choice, you know, when it comes to consumers, because most players have a national presence. So, you know, we have offices where we have colleagues and distributors, you know, who speak to customers in their local language. Mm. So to that extent, you know, business, uh, you know, is not difficult to Mm. come by you know in the multilingual contest context because players have figured out you know how to do business you know in this context mm. on the other hand when we go digital mm. uh, in fact you know we won an app we won, we won a global award recently for one of our apps which was launched uh, exclusively in indian languages i think that's where you know we feel the need because english you know tends to be the default mode of communication you know when it comes to creation of digital assets i think increasingly players are realizing the need to be multilingual and then you know they can expand uh, you know their scope and reach for instance, uh, when we launched our app recently, we launched it exclusively for crop insurance customers in the rural parts of India. And we launched it in three Indian languages. 
the response has been phenomenal the app has a rating of 4.6 on the app store and uh, we won the global efma accenture award you know and it gives farmers a range of services so increasingly you know as players are realizing you know that we can offer services in multiple languages i think uh, you know customers will come to the party hmm. i think we will come back and touch on this idea of the way that technology has adapted um to deliver chatbots and ai solutions in multiple languages maybe we can come back to that later on um but sure. um, maybe at this moment just kind of picking up one of the other pillars that you talked about um is the youth right because um i'm fascinated by this um so tell the listeners about you know how old your typical customer is in india so will uh, it may be difficult to put you know an exact number on uh, you know the age of a typical customer you know because we have customers you know across uh, all uh, age brackets but i'll try and share a few statistics you know which will help you understand the uh, power of this phenomenon mm. if you look at uh, you know a lot of studies they talk about the fact that you know india has you know a demographic dividend and by demographic dividend you know they're referring to the fact the ratio of people who are earning to the ratio of people you know who are dependent that ratio you know is significantly skewed positively you know in india in the sense that you have more people earning and less people being dependent unlike a lot of countries uh, or nations you know where uh, the populations are increasingly geriatric and therefore you know there are more dependents than earners and then there is step has to you know the state has to step in you know with social security nets so on and so forth that challenge you know does not really exist in india because uh, you know as i said you know there are a lot of earners the second aspect is uh, if you look at uh, the way india has evolved you know in the last uh, many years it has uh, increased its uh, reach you know on many global pa- platforms if you look at global uh, majors like facebook and of course you know whatsapp or even uh, you know google for that matter a substantial chunk of their user base you know comes from india and that's because you know india is very heavy when it comes to internet usage and smartphone usage so a lot of this is you know driven by you know the youth Uh, so they are all as i mentioned earlier you know born uh, digital natives mm-hmm. so a lot of their transactions you know are on the smartphone be it banking be it transactions be it business and now with uh, you know covid 19 coming in everything is digital be it entertainment be it education be it business meetings you know everything so i think the pace of adoption in india i think has been extremely high you know thanks to the youth and thanks to the fact that you know they are all digitally savvy hmm so the average age in india is the average age in india is if i'm right between somewhere between 25 and 30 is that correct absolutely it is in that range uh, will wow i mean that that is a an interesting mix in which to throw digital insurance and an insurance base and i think like you're right that you talk about a geriatric population in 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 europe um i mean i was looking at some of the the population stats earlier about about india i mean maybe many listeners will know this already but 1.3 billion human souls in india in europe in the whole of europe the european states there is 740 million people so there is nearly double the amount of humanity in india than there is in europe and i mean you talked about a you know a push product here right and that there's only like one third of you know penetration i mean i find that the potential for insurance or financial products must be astounding in the indian market and then you're talking about having a highly digital native um population a young population who are increasingly very comfortable 
with accessing services via their smartphone or other digital services. It seems to be a perfect place in which to do digital insurance or digital financial services or anything digital for that matter. Yeah, I mean, tell me, let's talk a bit about that. Like, how are your customers accessing their insurance products? Well, uh, Will, I think, uh, you know, you laid out the landscape, uh, you know, quite comprehensively. And uh, yes, you know, certainly, you know, the time is ripe for, you know, digital disruption and digital penetration from an Indian context. Talking about how customers access products, uh, Will, it's across a host of uh, platforms. On the one hand, uh, you know, you have uh, the traditional insurance agent, right? Your friendly neighborhood agent, so to speak, who comes and sells you the benefits of the insurance product. Mm. It still continues to, you know, uh, play a significant role. There have been a lot of experts who have spoken about uh, disintermediation in financial services, especially in insurance. Uh, but uh, I don't think, you know, we're seeing any signs of that. You know, it continues to be, uh, you know, a heavily uh, intermediary-driven uh, product. So the insurance agent is, you know, clearly one form of distribution. The other aspect, uh, Will, is banks. Bank assurance, you know, whereby customers go to banks and when they are basically getting their banking needs fulfilled, and then, you know, when the bank, you know, sells them insurance, you know, that's a significant part of the insurance landscape. So bank assurance, you know, is again, uh, you know, a very big platform in the Indian context. Thirdly, uh, Will, uh, increasingly, if you look at India, e-commerce, you know, has a big role to play. Uh, if you look at, uh, in, you know, Indian e-commerce majors, you know, they sell, for example, mobile phones, right? They sell mm. millions of mobile phones in a matter of seconds. And insurance companies, you know, who sell bundled products along with them, you know, they also sell, you know, millions of, you know, mobile uh, insurance covers in a matter of minutes. Just to give you one example, we have tied up with, you know, one of the large e-commerce majors in India. And when they sell, uh, you know, mobile phones on their platform, they receive feedback from their customers, you know, about the vulnerability of the screen of the mobile phone. Hmm. So we came out with a specific insurance cover, you know, which basically uh, caters to, you know, the mobile cover. And then we offered that as a bundled product. And then it was a win-win for everyone, for the distributor, as in for the e-commerce player, for us and for the customer, you know, because everybody gains from this process and we were able to, you know, sell, you know, millions of bundled insurance policies along with mobile phones, you know, in a matter of seconds. Mm. So I spoke about banks. I spoke about uh, agents. I, uh, you know, spoke about e-commerce. Apart from that, you know, we also have, you know, brokers. Uh, brokers and uh, agents are, you know, two different forms of distribution, you know, in the Indian uh, context. We also have, uh, you know, direct sales teams, you know, and this comprise a mix of, you know, digital sales as well as fulfillment is on the ground. So, you know, customers can basically, you know, approach companies, you know, through their websites. They can also approach, you know, aggregators. You know, there are a lot of aggregators in the Indian context who basically have, you know, tied up with various insurance companies. So if you go to an aggregator's website, you know, you can basically buy a product of your choice. And then for fulfillment, you know, many teams also have direct sales teams, you know, where you can, you know, get the feet on street, you know, to come and fulfill the needs on the ground. So it's a mix of, uh, you know, various, uh, you know, platforms, uh, brokers, agents, hmm. banks, e-commerce, and, uh, uh, you know, direct sales. And would I be right in thinking that a lot of your customers are using mobile phones to access their insurance now? Absolutely, uh, Will. In fact, uh, the Indian smartphone penetration is very high. Uh, India continues to be one of the biggest markets for mobile phones uh, globally. And the pandemic was a revelation, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we realized, uh, you know, the power and reach of mobile phones. Uh, we had to migrate from call centers to digital assets overnight. 
and you know our customers uh, you know very willingly accepted the launch of you know digital assets be it our bot be it whatsapp be it our app you know be it access to our portal you know we were able to get them to you know migrate to digital assets almost overnight and even today 80% of our servicing is to digital digital assets and our customers have been extremely mobile savvy wow so 80% of your servicing is through digital apps at the moment that is an astounding number many people listening thank you um yeah what a what a success yeah i mean absolutely and there's a couple of things we can jump off i'd love to talk a bit about you know how you've used things like whatsapp and how that's worked but let's um let's just give a bit of a macro context to the listeners how many sure. customers are you serving digitally through um, bajaj okay. alliance so I told you that eighty uh, percent of our servicing happens through digital assets. Yeah, and uh, our customer base is uh, you know more than the population of the UK, so that gives you an idea. Wow! So in excess yeah. of seventy-five million people. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. I mean, that's, so, so that's why we are digital at scale. Yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely digital at scale. I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's an interesting moment just to really pause and reflect on, um, and maybe when right. listeners. I mean, I certainly wasn't aware of the scale. Um, right. You know, again, we come back to it, 1.3 billion people, and you're serving 80 million customers in India. And at the same time, you're doing 80% of that digitally right. in a market with such huge potential for expansion. And so we're talking right. about digital at scale here. Um, right. It really is digital at scale. So uh, now we understand the macro, let's just drill down a little into the micro and give us some, ex some examples of, you know, the types of products that you've delivered. And I know you mentioned WhatsApp, um, and I, right. I know having done a bit of research that WhatsApp is a, is a method, a, a tool that you've used. So yeah, tell us about right. the user case. How have you used WhatsApp to serve your customers? So Will, uh, uh, what we typically do is, uh, you know, we try and make it comfortable for the customer. So, you know, we start with the context where he is comfortable. So we figured out that, you know, like I said, you know, Indians are very comfortable on smartphone and WhatsApp. So what we did, we went and figured out our uh, top contributors to our call center. Uh, and what we did, we built customer journeys for these top contributors on our WhatsApp. So what customers do, you know, we send them a bit.ly link. Then they basically, uh, you know, uh, initiate a WhatsApp conversation with us. And whatever is, the, you know, their query, you know, be it about asking for a copy of the insurance policy, be it about filing a claim, be it about, you know, locating, let's say, the nearest hospital. All these journeys, you know, we then build into WhatsApp. And they basically converse with us, you know, and they get an instantaneous service. Now, what we have done is uh, we have integrated WhatsApp also with our uh, chatbot. So what happens is even if there is, let's say, an agent who is not able to service them, you know, the bot is available. And that's why, you know, they can avail of the service, uh, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, 24 by 7. And what the bot does, you know, we deploy uh, AI and NLP as an artificial intelligence and natural language processing. So the bot basically understands customer queries, you know, and then responds to them. And in case there is a, you know, a query which the bot is not able to comprehend, then the customer does not feel any break in service because at the back end there is a seamless shift from the bot to a human being. Mm. So as far as the customer is concerned, you know, he is completely agnostic to the switch. He, uh, you know, continues to get serviced. And at the back end, what we do over a period of time, we continuously keep measuring the ratio of queries uh, answered by the bot and queries, you know, answered with assistance from human beings. And this ratio is something we have been steadily improving over time, thanks to the usage of AI and uh, NLP. Mm -hmm. So today, customers can, you know, pretty much transact, uh, you know, on any area over the WhatsApp, you know, and uh, the servicing has been fantastic. And, uh, you know, it works for uh, everyone because mm -hmm. 
customers get all their uh, fulfillment and online it's on their uh, smartphone and uh, on a tool they're very comfortable with and you know that's how you know it's really helped us during the pandemic and it continues to sustain itself even though we have moved from the lockdown to the unlock phase yeah that sounds like a great use of buy not build um and yes. I, I think many many big legacy financial institutions insurance banks but also legacy automotive is that always struggled with this balance between buy and build and it sounds right. to me like you've approached it with you know what works works and let's you know use the best technologies which can service that and what customers are happy with so let me let me ask you about how you come up with those products because i'm interested in like you know you serving a population greater than the uk who are who at the moment have something like 80 servicing 80 percent through digital so how do you create a product for your clients so well uh the uh, approach we use you know is uh, fairly thought through it always starts you know with the customer uh, i'd like you know some very very customer centric organizations have said always keep an empty chair in the room right uh, figuratively or uh, you know physically because you need to know what the customer has in mind so what we do is you know we do a lot of research on what customer needs are you know either based on uh, direct feedback from customers or through you know market surveys and once we get an understanding of you know customer needs then we'll what we do is you know we sit down and then we take a look at our current inventory of processes right and then we apply lean six sigma and then we basically you know try to figure out you know what is the best way of meeting customer needs and then once we have the right process in place then we deploy you know the right technology there is a suite of you know tools available but the difference here is you know that we are not buzzword led we are not technology led rather the technology is customer led because only if you have the right use case you know where let's say for example the customer faces maximum friction and you know there is a need to you know meet his needs quickly you know do we deploy the right technology and i'll give you you know couple of uh, you know examples there right Please. and then once we uh, you know deploy the technology you know then we obviously you know pilot it in the marketplace take feedback and then we roll it out so let me give you an example uh, will uh, let's take blockchain right blockchain is you know a concept which has a lot of halo associated with it mm. it's a big buzzword you yeah, know everybody, everybody wants to do yeah <laughs> everybody loves blockchain so what we said you know we are not going to have you know a blockchain led use case rather you know like i said you know we'll have a use case led blockchain deployment so let's take travel insurance now let's imagine you know you're sitting in heathrow airport uh, you're catching a long flight let's say to australia and the flight is delayed right now typically you know you would have to go through uh, you know the entire rigmarole of paperwork even as you know you're sitting in the airport and trying to figure out the next flight to catch you're rebooking your hotels you're rearranging your meetings you're figuring out your you know your your transport from one place to another so on and so forth and then when you figure out you know that you possibly can file a claim for trip delay right earlier what used to happen you know the insurance company would ask you for proof of your passport you know your boarding pass some information from the airline that the flight is delayed so on and so forth so here we said why don't we make life simple for the customer he's already hassled and harried you know why don't we make it easy so we said that why don't we get proof immutable proof that the flight is delayed so we deployed a blockchain driven solution whereby we get immutable proof that uh, the flight is delayed then we said that why do we need to even approach the customer we have proof that the flight is delayed the customer doesn't need to even let us know right so what we ended was we did not just move from paperwork to paperless we moved from the customer noting notifying us to the customer not even needing to lift his little finger mm. because we know the flight is delayed so the customer is sitting there 
he is worried and then he gets a notification from us right that the flight is delayed this is the amount you are due for you know paid to your bank it's just a wow for the customer you know that's how we deploy blockchain mm. so the use case was customer friction and we said no this is the right you you know right tool you know and then we deployed that let me give you one more example uh, will yeah, which will uh, yeah which will uh, basically talk about how we went beyond stated needs because uh, the philosophy of meeting customer needs is not only to meet stated needs but also to meet unstated latent needs right and sometimes uh, you know uh, needs may not be expressed because customers may not be aware of the solution so you need to sometimes create a solution and then you figure out you meet a, a latent need let's take uh, internet of things uh, now as uh, most people may be aware uh, a lot of uh, players globally have launched what we call telematics telematics is where you know you launch uh, a device in the car mm. and then you are able to monitor the you know driving habits uh, you know and the movement of the Uh, person driving the car because typically insurance is asset based you are basically insuring the asset but you and i can buy the same asset and one year later our cars can be in very different shape mm. right so if you have iot you can basically you know monitor the driver's behavior and then when it's up for renewal you know you can basically increase or decrease the pricing based on the behavior of the driver so that is the concept of telematics before yeah before you go on to that cuz that was interesting i know we we had spoken about this before that maybe right. maybe listeners aren't aware that um in say so maybe some of the the different social dynamics or market dynamics of india so in india it's normal say um if you're sort of middle class so affluent to have a driver correct or yes i'm coming to that yeah yeah absolutely so sorry yeah please yeah, yeah i was yeah, fascinated yeah, yeah, so, yeah, by this story yeah please yes yes yeah so i was coming to that yeah <laughs> so now in the indian context like we discussed will uh, you know uh you can you know afford drivers because uh, you know the cost of a driver could be 120th of the cost of a driver you know in the uk or in the us and when you are a working couple right and then uh, you know the driver is the one you know who's ferrying the kids from home to school and then back now also and then you know he is an employee you know, he's not a family member and as parents you will be concerned now because of iot we launched a feature called geofencing now what happens because of geofencing is that if the car strays off the beaten path so to speak the parents get an alert now this is not possible without iot and this kind of a need may not have been expressed you know by parents or by customers you know before the existence of you know this of of a solution of this nature mm. so which is why i said blockchain met you know an express use case where customers you know were hassled about paperwork you know in terms of uh, trip delays and iot met you know a latent need you know in terms of getting alerts you know should the car you know go off the path you know that uh, parents were used to and this and this kind of customer wows uh, will are not possible without the use of technology so which is where i think you know in terms of understanding customer needs deploying six sigma and then applying the right use uh, right tech stack i think this combination you know has really helped us take customer experience to an entirely different level wow that's an it's an interesting application and i want to come back to the idea of lean six sigma and that's what we've talked spoken about together in the past yeah. we can explore that as well in in a moment um but i suppose the natural follow on for that is what do you do if a product is not working right well uh, well uh, you know i'll start by saying uh, you know something which is uh, a very inspiring quote from uh, you know dalai lama which basically says when you lose don't lose the lesson right so i think the whole idea you know is to fail fast so what we do uh, will is uh, you know sometimes you know despite customer research uh, you know if let's say a product doesn't work then what we do is you know we basically go back to the drawing board and then you know we collect customer feedback we go back to customers and we ask them you know saying that you know what do you think you know can be done uh, you know in order to make it uh, you know much more palatable for you 
and then uh, based on customer feedback because what we also need to understand here is that uh, product extensions or product modifications uh, do not start and end only with customer feedback there's also a regulatory angle because we again need to go back to the regulator you know and then file the product you know and get approval and then you know basically proceed so then uh, based on the customer feedback you know we go back to the regulator right and then you know we look at you know how to enhance the product right and then we uh, you know roll it out mm. so to give you uh, you know some uh, examples uh, if you take uh, you know let us say uh, health insurance right and mm. i'm not talking specifically about us i'm just you know trying to give you a, a more broad based example right let's say you know you launch uh, you know a particular uh, you know uh, health insurance product which basically you know say talks about you know exclusions of you know certain diseases or you know which basically speaks about some age limits and then you basically figure out you know that you are not able to you know cater to the segments you know which want this product then you take feedback and sometimes customers are you know willing to pay a higher price you know depending on the need then you go back and say fine you know maybe i expand my age bracket you know using actuarial science you do data analytics you expand the age bracket and you basically look at you know you know which are the exclusions right can you you know kind of you know look at that universe and see you know if you can maybe crunch you know the number of exclusions and then you go back enough and file the product and then take it to the marketplace mm. so it is sometimes about you know a trial and error you know where you get it right you know you think of a strike zone you get feedback that you know that the strike zone is maybe too narrow then you go back expand the strike zone and then you take it to the market so which, that's how you yeah. know a lot of players have done yeah which i get that and and i hear that and it sounds you know very logical um right but what we found in innovation it's never often as easy as it is to say it right so right i, I let, let's explore a bit about this innovation and like how you get it to happen because there's a lot un- lying underneath that explanation it's about the team culture it's about the people so yeah how how do you get an organization ready to deliver new products and take bad feedback very good question uh, will and i think you are absolutely right as they say culture eats uh, you know strategy for breakfast so you have to build you know a culture you know which ensures you know that innovation is top of the mind one thing uh, will which we have done is if you look at our tagline our tagline says caringly yours so we have ensured that you know it is drilled into every single employee and partner of our company so that everybody understands that ultimately we are here to care for our customer we are here to meet customer worries right and that's why you know the caringly yours philosophy you know cuts across everything that we do and this is caring, the other is caringly yours do i get that right caringly yours is yeah, the, the statement you make to internally to every customer service representative all the innovation teams and etc caringly yours externally as well it's our tagline our tagline okay. is caringly yours Yeah, okay. it's our, it's what we stand for. Yeah, okay. we have gone and put it out of the marketplace and said, you know, that this was we stand for, you know, and therefore, you know, we have, uh, you know, once we put it out there, you know, then we have to live up to that brand promise, right? Mm. So that's what you know we have basically, you know, instilled in our uh, entire team. Then we'll uh, like you, you know, like uh, you know, you said, I think the philosophy we have had is, you know, even though we've been large and successful, you have to be, you know, humble and you know, uh, be willing to learn. so again you know as a cat phrase you know the philosophy that i personally espouse and i tell my team is that today the winning proposition or the winning mindset is not about learn it all as or it's not about know it all but it's about learn it all so i think you know we are on a constant phase of you know learning picking up from the marketplace looking at insurtechs you know looking at fintech looking at you know the global landscape and you know we're continuously on a process of you know figuring out you know what works for the customer and also we look at best practices beyond our industry to figure out you know how we can be the first one of the blocks 
so i think caring your philosophy as a dna and this entire thing of you know learn it all as a pragmatic you know day to day approach in everything that we do then uh, will what we do is once the customer insights come in you know either based on our research or based on customer feedback like i said that's where you know we apply lean six sigma and here as we said we not afraid to break anything right even what we have built because as i say you know if you don't break what you did somebody else will right so how do you you know continuously you know reinvent yourself so which is where we apply the you know the lean six sigma approach and then uh, you know what we have also done is that you know we continuously monitor the entire landscape because you will typically find you know two kinds of uh, you know startups one is startups who challenge the existing business model and then you also find you know startups you know who basically attack a part of the value chain and then they offer that as an offering you know to large players like us whereby you know they'll combine with us and they got a marquee name to work with we got a new solution and therefore you know it's a good uh, combination of a startup you know and an established behemoth you know which helps all customers so we then tie up with you know establish you know which startups you know across the value chain mm. so partnership and then so, after yeah partnership yes. with existing insurtech in the indian market or maybe internationally who can bring in some exactly mm. exactly and then when it comes to applying technology you know we are agile right in terms of you know applying it quickly so lean six sigma on process agile on technology and then we take it to the marketplace and a fundamental principle of six sigma is test and learn test and learn test and learn you know we continuously keep doing that it's an iterative process and then you know we you know basically take it out and we are a firm believer uh, we don't believe in the here and the total story you know which we learned in school uh, we don't believe that slow and steady wins the race we believe that fast eats slow so therefore you know we are you know pretty much you know quick off the blocks and i i think that's something you know we have culturally now kind of managed to imprint you know on our people and you know i think we just you know keep going what is quick mean to you i'd like to know what what quick really means to you deepu because um so many firms in that i've seen trying to do innovation it's a painfully slow process and by the time the product's ready to go it seems like the market's already moved on to something else so yeah what is what is quick yeah. mean to you yeah so uh, so will uh, quick is always in a context uh, you know it depends on uh, you know for example if there is a regulator involved you know then there is a certain minimum gestation period whereas if there is no regulator involved you know then it's up to you to do it right but but i think for us you know quick has ranged uh, you know anything from same day to one week to uh, you know to any uh, you know to any length of time you know that you can imagine you know, our partners you know what i wanted us to work with you know we been you could really do something in one day or a week like taking a new like product and or is it sort of like an innovation around that tell me tell me a bit about that well uh, you know some of our launches have been you know extremely uh, you know quick uh, for example you know let's take uh, you know when the pandemic uh, happened right uh, we had you know call centers you know shutting down overnight so we zoomed to 80% digital assets overnight mm-hmm. what we did one we embarked on a massive communication blitzkrieg you know we ensured that our customers were completely aware of the plethora of options available so that was one the other is we bought all our assets to the party whatsapp bot app uh, portal all the digital assets that we have so we zoomed from uh, you know it's like a you know like a typical bike or an, like a car ad right from 0 to 120 kilometers uh, you know per hour you know in a matter of few seconds we zoomed overnight and it stayed the best mm-hmm. part is you know it stayed and to give an example uh, when the pandemic started you know i think like i mentioned earlier we did not just do a lock stock and barrel shift from the physical world to the to, to the digital world we also for example came out with some features to meet the needs of the new normal so for example uh, when people couldn't visit doctors you know we enabled you know a doctor on chat uh, feature we did that fairly quickly mm. 
and then we also came out of the contact tracing uh, feature called social trackback which again you know we did very quickly you know we did it in the initial days of uh, you know the lockdown so i guess you know a lot of those features you know came out in a jiffy a jiffy i mean I'm, maybe we could be a little bit more specific because i mean i'm i mean the lock, i mean this is this is amazing so uh, we're talking i think for a long time being able to deliver a new product to market in 60 days has been seen as something that's pretty you know pretty incredible you know creating a new product at least actually getting it out to market so you, in your experience you can do that it's possible yeah and, absolutely and, but what about the technology because maybe a lot of people thinking okay we can come up with a great idea that's fine you know okay great if we got a great relationship with the with the regulator okay but what about the technology how do you create the technology infrastructure that can allow this to happen yeah so we'll uh, i'll answer that in two parts one of course you know just as we apply lean six sigma to processes we apply you know agile to technology the other aspect is well uh, the mistake a lot of people end up doing is they go for perfection i think what's important you know is to get 80% right and then you roll out with it you roll out a minimum viable product and then as you test and learn you go back and apply the balance 20% mm-hmm. so the 80% is out there you test and learn and by the time you get feedback you apply the balance 20% and then you know you're out there you know with a 100% ready product mm-hmm. that's something you know which has really worked for us these things typically end up being like an asymptote the yeah. first 80% is ready let's say in x days and then the balance 20% just keeps dragging on and on and you know the curve and the line you know so to speak you know never really meet and that's yeah. where you know we lose time I, i'm 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 going to interrupt you there cuz i know you said on the second part but i have a question about this because again maybe many people who are listening who work in large organizations one of, and and you're leading innovation there for bajaj alliance um so you could have business partners you know peers who are running lines of business does how does this sort of quick to delivery method assist you in getting their buy in so will uh, what we do is uh, we don't put the cart before the horse so basically we get their buy in before the start of the journey if you notice uh, at the right at the beginning i said that we always start with the use case where the customer friction is the highest mm. and therefore we know we get buy in you know from the business partner you know right up front and i always try to explain this with an example let's say you know we coming out of the contest right and we say you know the contest is let's say an all ex- you know an all expenses paid trip to x country or the person may say that i don't want to go to x country <laughs> i want to go to y country right so there is no point in uh, building something and then you know thrusting it down his throat <laughs> it's better that he tells us you know this is where i want to go and then you build that mm-hmm. so we always go to the business owner we pick up the right uh, use case then when the buy in is there then we go about in executing with speed so that when it goes to market that the adoption is quick because will uh, one thing which we need to realize is that if it is that you have to strike the uh, you know as they say you know you have to strike the iron when it is hot if we, if the scale up does not happen at the moment of launch you know when there is a complete publicity and communication blitzkrieg the scale up is not going to happen subsequently mm. no matter how hard you try so do all the heavy lifting right up front and that's something i learned in six sigma so that when you launch it you know it's absolutely smooth and that's that's interesting because the the ability i can imagine that being able to get that product then get it delivered to your it's a meet with your business partner talk to them about a need that they may have or an idea and then take that idea and work with your teams to create a product and then get it out to the market and start showing them that there's a potential that for me is just such a brilliant way to consider 
doing what we're doing right and, and actually getting the business to believe in innovation as a solution so yeah i can see that it's really interesting and so you've got the technology then so, so you, you've got this this very fast mode of delivery about a way of getting buy-in about a way of getting market getting um response from the market but you have to have the underlying philosophy of learning learning mindset and humility service you talked about as a as a brand out to the market and then you've got to have the teams that can deliver that so right tell us about yeah the building teams like this because i'm i'm sort of interested about you know how big is your innovation team and how big do you need it to be so yeah so maybe the first question how big is your your innovation team so will uh if you look at my entire team you know it's about uh, 1600 people you know spread across you know 170 locations wow and i'd like to believe that you know all of them uh, you know have an innovation uh, mindset because we don't have a dedicated uh, you know innovation lab or you know we don't have a dedicated you know innovation uh, you know coe so to speak because those typically end up being fixed costs and then you are pressure to deliver instead what we do we pick uh, cases business use cases then we work with uh, you know startups we get the right solution, apply Agile, apply Lean Sigma, and then get it out to market. So ours is innovation with zero fixed cost, you know, from that point of view. Mm, 1,600 people. And um, that's that's a big, big team delivering across that market. And and, and what, in your experience, in, in terms of delivering innovation, do you need to have big, how do you mix that? Is that technology versus innovation teams? Or do you have a ratio that you're looking for? How many technologists versus how many strategists? Yeah. So, uh, uh, will uh, you know to you know to give you a very candid answer? Uh, I don't think we look at a ratio, so to speak. You know, from a technologist versus innovation specialist, because as I said, you know, these come into play once the use case is in uh, you know is in focus. So our entire focus is you know is on being close to the customer. So instead, what we look at is you know how many customer problems are there, what are the you know latent needs of customers, you know how do we meet them, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't matter, you know, because uh, getting teams to work on uh, solutions. You know, is not a difficult task because you can work with an in-house team, you can work with an outsourced team. You could get a mix of, uh, you know, startups versus you know our own teams to work on it. To me, that you know, the production aspect is not the difficult uh, aspect. The key is finding the right use case. Once we find the right use case, then I think we're all aligned, and then you know, we make it happen. Mm. So the ratio we focus on more is more in terms of you know how many problems we resolve and you know how many innovations we're able to bring out into the marketplace. Mm. We measure it slightly differently. Yeah, it's an interesting way to approach it. Um, Getting yeah. focused on the customer problems that you're solving, and I can imagine that's a nice metric to dis- discuss right. with um, discuss with the business. Okay, so let's right. let's sort of shift gears a bit because I'd like you to do a bit of forward looking for us. I mean, what what technologies well, excite you most at the moment? Well, uh, Will, there's a range of you know technologies uh, you know which are out there you know which are uh, you know meeting a uh, you know meeting all our customer needs. Of course, AI and ML are, you know, evergreen, uh, you know, favorites. Uh, we also have point solutions driven by blockchain and IoT. So from these two perspectives, you know, from a universal range, AI and ML are exciting. From point solutions, you know, I find blockchain and, you know, IoT exciting. And I think right now going forward, you know, the one area I'm focused on is what we call touchless AI, you know, uh, sorry, touchless UI, you know, wherein we are basically saying that uh, as people are wary of touch, how do we ensure, you know, that is in this entire uh, post-pandemic phase, we ensure that we meet customer needs, but without customers having to resort to touch. To me, that's the next frontier, and that's you know keeping me quite excited. Touchless UI. So this yeah. 
Um, do you want to explain what that means? Um, yeah. <laughs> I could maybe have an, yeah, yeah. an idea, but I'd love to know. Yeah, well, tell me what sure. the philosophy sure, means. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, I'll start with a very, very simple example. Let's imagine, you know, somebody going in an elevator today. You don't want to press that button, right? You see sometimes, you know, people have, uh, you know, their hands full. They're trying to press it to their elbow. They're trying to use a sharp object, right? It can end up being quite comic at times. The same thing is happening when people are going in for servicing because, uh, yeah, you know, because of social distancing and, you know, because people do not want to touch, right? Today, people are not willing to touch doors, elevators, buttons, so on and so forth. So what we have done, you know, is we have basically uh, brought in voice. In fact, we were among the first ones to integrate with Alexa and Google Assistant when they were launched in India. Which meant when Alexa was launched, you could ask Alexa, you know, saying that, hey, Alexa, how can I, you know, get this uh, service from Bajaj Alliance, right? And it would be available to you. So going forward, you know, what we feel is that, you know, customers will increasingly want to use voice so that, you know, they just voice their command into the phone and the order gets executed. And similarly, when customers walk into bank branches, when they walk into the offices of insurance companies and various other financial services firms, you know, the entire fulfillment, you know, has got to be touchless in the sense that, they are not, you know, they are not going to be, you know, people, you know, who are going to press buttons and, you know, take the risk of getting infected, right? Mm. So whether it is a QR code, scanning a QR code, whether it is, you know, about, you know, enabling voice commands, right? Touchless user experience, right? Whether it is in the physical world, whether it's in the digital world, that is something, you know, which we are increasingly seeing. Mm. And we're also seeing a lot of traction on voice today. So people are basically asking for a lot of services using voice, you know, whether it is voicing into their mobile phone, or whether it you know it is voicing into any other device that they have, I think this entire area of you know voice-based processing you know is the next frontier. That's a very interesting area to consider. It's funny actually, voice command search is definitely a an underestimated market, and in the yes. US, um, voice-based um, search is already growing. So and and in the UK market, for example, but it's a market that many people don't know about. And it's surprising that a lot of people are saying, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, can you find me a restaurant within five miles? Can, hey, Alexa, hey, Google, um, I want to get my car repaired. Give me a garage. And right. imagine that. Hey, Google, hey, Alexa, I need to claim on my home insurance. I've just broken my television. You know, right. you can imagine that. And then having that solution be solved through a whole range of just digital assets how great i mean i mean this this does bring into question actually the idea of claims and you're working in a market where there are millions tens of millions of customers and you are must have a sheer volume of claims to deal with um so how does digital help you at bajaj alliance deal with claims Oh, well, uh, in a very big way, uh, Will, you know, uh, the claim is the moment of truth for insurance customers. Mm. And therefore, you know, this is one area, you know, where we are focused on, uh, you know, through digital assets, you know, to create difference to our customers. So let me give you one example. The motor insurance, you know, for example, is the biggest line of business in the Indian context. And let's say, you know, you are driving your car, you crash your car somewhere. And then you suddenly, you know, realize, you know, that, you know, it's a godforsaken place. There is nobody nearby, right? Now, what happens in a classic situation? You basically call up an insurance company. Then they will, you know, basically, uh, you know, send a surveyor. The surveyor will come to the spot. He'll assess the car. And then after that, you know, you take it to the garage for repair, so on and so forth. We said, why don't we move this from the physical realm to the digital realm? So what we did was we basically leveraged a tool called photogrammetry, 
So what the uh, customer has to do is basically click photographs of the car. We tell him to click, you know, photographs of the damaged area, the front, the back, the rear, so on and so forth, so that we get a 360-degree view. Just upload the photographs on the app. And then once the photographs reach us, you know, we have experts. Experts, you know, who have been assessing claims for years. They can easily make out whether the claim is fraudulent or genuine. Then once they assess the uh, value of the claim, then we call the, you know, then we communicate to the customer that, you know, based on the photographs, this is the amount, you know, that we think, you know, is the value of the claim. And then the customer consents, and then, you know, we just transfer the money to him. This happens, Will, in less than 30 minutes. Less it's been a game changer. Minutes. Yes, it has been a game changer for us. So you crash your car, you can try it if you want. Crash your car, take photographs, <laughs> send it to us. We'll assess it and send you the money in 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't know about crashing my car, but um, I, am, I, I am really impressed by that as a solution, actually. That's, um, yeah. And hearing about that. Um, and yeah, I, I do think wonders. That, that's incredible because I, I, I can imagine you've got to get slick when it comes to... Right. Um, delivering insurance and one of the areas i know so many so many in this industry are interested at the moment is parametric solutions right um right is parametric solutions anything that you're working with at bajaj alliance in your insurance and if, yes could you tell us a bit about that yeah so will uh, you know parametric uh, you know insurance you know for those you know who are new to the term is essentially you know trigger-based insurance right where an yeah. event happens and then you know it triggers uh, you know the fulfillment of insurance uh, this is something, you know, which has been uh, theoretically out there, you know, for a while now. And increasingly, you know, players are resorting to that. Uh, one thing, of course, you know, is the fact that the, the black swan events, as we know them, they are no longer, you know, as rare as they were. They're happening with a fair degree of, you know, certainty. So this is something which, uh, you know, we are working on. And even if you look at uh, Allianz, you know, as in our parent company, Allianz, right? They've also been, you know, uh, uh, quite, you know, uh, quite ahead, you know, on this phase, you know, globally. Uh, parametric insurance, you know, comes into play, you know, across a host of uh, areas, uh, you know, especially when it comes to weather, when it comes to natural events, you know, so on and so forth. So it's certainly, you know, something, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, actively considering. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine actually, and you guys do have a crop solution, if I'm correct, right, that you're serving, but that's, that's right. not that's not currently delivered via parametrics. If I'm also understanding, do you want to tell us a bit about your crop solution that you have? I'm, I was I was just interested by this solution generally. So yeah, please, please tell us a bit about that. So uh, we'll uh, you know happy to let you know firstly you know that our crop app you know won the global uh, EFMA Accenture Award uh, last month, mm -hmm. and uh, this is an example of you know digital where it's digital without English. We offered this you know for our uh, rural customers, uh, and just a few weeks back you know the Internet and Mobile Association of India they published a report which said that the number of internet customers in rural India exceeded the number of internet customers in urban India, I think, for the first time. And uh, this is an app exclusively rolled out, as I said, for our crop insurance customers who are primarily in rural India in three Indian languages. Now, this app has a rating of 4.6 on the Play Store. It gives them a host of services. To start with, of course, you know, basic insurance services. File a claim, apply for an insurance policy, ask for some information. Apart from that, it's also integrated with the government's portal because a lot of uh, crop insurance customers also need to interact with the government. Now, this app is integrated with the government portal. So using it as a one-stop shop, they can carry out all their information, uh, you know, all their processing. The other is uh, weather plays a big role, you know, in, in agriculture. So we give them weather information. Pricing, right? Pricing happens in various markets across uh, the country. They get pricing information. Mm. They get crop diagnostics. They get crop advisory. 
so i think because of this entire range of services that they get in their language and the fact that you know it's integrated across the government portal and across you know all these various sources of information it's been a big hit with customers and that's why you know as i said it's got a rating of 4.6 you know which is a very very high rating mm. and also it won the global uh, you know efma accenture award so we were very happy yeah, we were yeah. sorry sorry i'll just online yeah. so we were very happy to launch a solution which is you know not in english right for our yeah. rural customers mm. so the point that i made yeah sorry will please no no, no no please no i'm i'm, I'm fascinated by this because it sounded to me there like it really was like insurance as a service and and this has been a big theme you know how, how do we get insurance to be more and more helpful um yes so applying the principles that you've outlined earlier in our conversation you took this idea of looking at the most friction points how you can provide service for the customer and right. then you went about providing that and trying to integrate it with the government as well that must have been difficult yeah. so i mean yes i mean the technical difficulty how on earth did you approach that i mean maybe we don't want to delve too long but i'm just interested about the technical difficulty of dealing with government well uh, will uh, you know uh, you are absolutely right i think uh, you know partner integration is never an easy one uh, one of course is to have a conversation the other is to not to get them to agree you know because everybody is worried about data and security and you know apis and so on and so forth but i think what we typically do is we always highlight you know the end benefit here in this case you know we spoke about how farmers could benefit you know how they are going to benefit how it's going to make their life easy and i think that is what you know helped us you know make the conversation smooth and ensure that the partner integration actually happened mm. so how how does it make your customers life easier this app what what was the what are the things yeah so I, as i told you once it's integrated with the government's portal then they can carry out all the transactions using this app and the other is as i told you like you rightly said it's insurance as a service it is not just about getting information from bajaj alian it's also about you know getting information from uh, you know various other entities crop advisory crop diagnostics weather information so on and so forth so i think this entire landscape of uh, ensuring that you know it's a universal access to all the entities linked to the farmer i think that's what made it you know so much more popular for him mm. now look at it from his perspective he downloads an app the app is easy uh, the app speaks to him in the language of his choice it gives him information on bajaj alliance integrates with the government gets him information from all other sources it just works wonderfully well for him and they can then then they can sort of take a photo of their crop they can ensure it if say there's not enough rain if there's too much rain the crop fails they can then get a a sort of a loss adjuster to come out and then look at that that solution and pay a solution is that correct so for claims uh, will uh, what we do is you know because crop is spread, you know because uh, crop areas you know spread across you know huge uh, swathes of land you know uh, there are a lot of uh, scalable solutions you know which players have looked at one is usage of drones the other is you know usage of satellite imagery because sometimes it's not humanly possible to cover large areas of land uh, you know by having a human being walk through the physical areas so we rely on you know aerial tools so drones satellite images you know and many other you know area you know many other tools we have leveraged you know to do an accurate claim assessment and these tools will increasingly come into play wow okay so you can use a, a host of additional information like that and drones that's fantastic um, okay well um I, I want to touch on something we touched about a little bit earlier, and sort of just towards the end of our conversation. But we talked about lean, and we talked about agile, and right, lean and agile. So, which is better, lean or agile? <laughs> Good question, Will. In fact, uh, you know there has been a, you know, I think that you now the jury is still out on this topic. 
uh, you know people are talking about lean six sigma people are talking about agile the way i see it uh, will and i keep it very simple i said lean six sigma right essentially is something which you apply to a process by which you basically look at a process you know and then you reengineer it to make it as lean as possible for the customer that's where lean obviously comes in and six sigma right with all its benefits is essentially to make it as accurate and as customer friendly as possible that's the whole idea of you know doing it so i apply lean six sigma when it comes to a process now agile as we all know you know is a way of you know getting software you know out there faster in the marketplace right so we apply agile principles you know when it comes to our tech deployment so what we do we take the customer need first then using the customer need we reengineer our process using lean six sigma and then on the reengineered process when we need to apply the tech stack that's when you know we apply agile methodology so it's a so they so they are complementary in that sense that the combination of lean six sigma on process and agile on technology helps you do both process reengineering and tech stack deployment faster and the end result is faster time to market and obviously you know it keeps you know ahead of competitors mm. so in a nutshell let me keep it simple uh, will that's how you know i look at it mm. they are different yet complementary mm. so it could have a, a mix of the both of two of them making sure you yes. have a very clear understanding of what your customer need is and the journey for that customer and then bringing in the agile methodology for you know maybe taking those customer stories and the features that you're looking for and delivering it through an agile methodology yeah right. I, i think one of the things i've been talking to people who who i you know admire in this space i think really it's the philosophy that that has to be embedded in the organization and one of humility and one of learning um and care for each other and and your customers has to be at the heart of that so maybe that would be something we can talk about on another day but i i know you've touched on it earlier about those those philosoph- philosophical values being at the heart of what you're doing and i can imagine that's it's just so important for anyone listening that yeah you know, if you really want to deliver agile and your organization is transforming to agile it's more than just a methodology and and it's the thing talking about it's a philosophy underpinning it and um you know humility and a growth mindset is certainly i think probably the two pillars that you have to have for that so if i, if I may just add two bits on that uh, will uh, if i may if i may be allowed to add just a couple of bits on that yeah so the your point is absolutely valid uh, empathy for instance is very important because you can only automate a process but you cannot automate core human skills like empathy and creativity mm. so i think it's extremely important to have that and the point that you made on uh, humility i think it's very important because a lot of studies on the future of work they basically say that this current uh, paradigm of saying that i studied all that i could and i'm going to work for the rest of my life you know that's not that's going to be a relic the future is going to be about learning working going back to school learning a new skill working and a continuous cycle mm. yeah it's very true and i think as we become older the the importance and as a, an aging population the importance of being able to have a second career um and, yes. you know to be able to evolve yourself and and share just a sheer pace of change absolutely i agree with that and um right and um as someone who is very much motivated by learning um i i think that's a wonderful vision of the future um maybe not everybody will feel that way but certainly i do um all right let's absolutely let's talk about like you know just you a little bit if i can for a moment and sort of like you know who's you know who's influenced you and your approach to leadership so will uh, you know actually uh, you know we get influenced by uh, or rather i've got influenced by you know a lot of people started with my uh, you know my parents uh, 
my father when i was young you know he just stacked my room with a lot of books so that's how you know i picked up the art of reading so i need to you know i, I owe that to my father and my mother is the one you know who uh, shaped me as a person because she instilled in me you know the basic values of you know diligence uh, you know religiousness uh, dedication education as an important uh, you know aspect of our life you know so on and so forth so i'd say my start so starts with my parents you know because they laid the foundation of uh, you know for whatever i could do and then uh, along the way will uh, it's difficult to name any one person but uh, one thing i have observed in life will is uh, you can learn from everybody actually you can learn from people above you which is what typically a lot of people do but you can also learn from your peers and you can also learn from you know people you know who are below you like your subordinates and you know uh, people you know who are relatively junior because i think there are a lot of human traits to pick up if you just keep your mind open right so i think i have been influenced by you know by a lot of these people uh, mahatma gandhi for instance you know has been a very inspirational uh, figure because imagine you know using the tenet of non violence and during those days when there was no twitter no facebook no linkedin no whatsapp you know to mobilize you know a lot of people you know and to instill this philosophy right i know i just think you know it was amazing you know the kind of impact you know that he made because i think leadership at one level you know is the kind of impact that you make on people so i think you know the impact that he's had i know i think has been truly inspirational yeah i i use thank you for sharing that and i i use gandhi actually often as a a way to describe the strength in humility right because i think often people misunderstand that hu- that humble people are somehow weak or are somehow submissive right right but you think of like deep humility and the potential for strength in in that approach to serving the other and realizing there is needs of others and some of right. gandhi wow i mean talk about a strength of humility a person who was able to transform um a country and you know right. leave a lasting legacy in his right. his demonstration of humility and yeah that that he is someone i actively reference often about that and um, right. i'm glad that you bring him up in that way and there's so many great sayings that are attributed to to gandhi of course but you know i think one right. i love i love very much is um you know you want to be the change that you want to see in the yes. world right and uh, maybe I, i butcher that maybe yes. but um yes i think also that may that may come into the thing that you said we can learn from people we want to we can we have all around us um right. be it below us in the management chain be it higher in the management chain um right but ultimately i think as a leader as an individual we have to be that beacon of what we want to see and what we want Absolutely. to happen to us and then hopefully yes. that will you know continue to 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 create a rising tide and you know servant right. servant leadership is something i'm exploring and something i i i i know is been actually very important to the agile development methodologies um servant leadership is very important i believe in innovation um and it's certainly i believe a movement that's regaining its popularity after after robert greenleaf and individuals that you're referencing i think are, are a great example of that so um right awesome well, it's great to hear that's what you've done um and you're interested now let's go back to books because books are one of my favorite yeah. things in the whole wide world so um right. i was glad to know that your 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 father gave you that um um so yeah what are your favorite i mean do you want to give us three of your favorite books and it could be anything sure, uh, it could be like it could be business yeah. it can be you know um right. fiction anything you like so well uh, you know when uh, i started out in uh, school and college right i used to like uh, you know pg woodhouse a lot 
because i think the uh, you know the kind of humor that he brought to the fore you know i think it was you know fascinating right so you know i used to like reading his books and uh, later on you know when i began reading uh, uh, you know classics right i think one big uh, one book you know which brought for me you know which is one of the first classics you know written in the english uh, language is uh, you know the fall of the mohicans you know by uh, james pennymore uh, cooper mm. i think you know that was uh, sorry, the last of the mohicans the last not the fall the last yeah, the last of the mohicans sorry by james pennymore cooper i think that was you know a brilliant book i read a very good book uh, when i was in college you know it's by an african writer it's called uh, things fall apart you know by uh, chinua achebe uh, fantastic uh, you know just gives you a wonderful you know view of uh, you know what was there you know in that particular uh, you know society so before you move on let's let's just pick this one so pj woodhouse um i've read i think one of his books um right. and, he, and he's got a sort of an interesting sort of goofy british sort of sense of humor yes. from back in the back right. in the day um so right. it's cool it's good to know like i love i love that you've got a good um you know you like some <laughs> some comedy writing as well that's fantastic and um it's yeah. good like for the salt to have a laugh but last of the mohicans i've not read i mean many people know the the film of course um but yeah what what effect did last of the mohicans have on you well well uh, it's very interesting I actually read this book when I was in school and uh, we got this book you know during the summer vacation and this book was meant to be studied you know through the year so you basically study a chapter come to class then you know you kind of delve deep and you know you go go through it chapter by chapter I just found the book interesting I read it cover to cover so then when we all went back to uh, school the teacher asked all of us you know how many of you have read the first chapter and I raised my hand and said you know I raised the entire book she couldn't believe it you know for a few seconds and then you know she said you know I'll ask you one question because that question will prove to me whether you have read the book or not <laughs> and uh, that question was you know whether magua you know who is one of the central characters you know was he a delaware or was he a huron these were the two uh, tribes in uh, uh, you know in you know in 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 north america at that time i'll not give you the answer you know just in case the reader wants to read the book and i answered that uh, question correctly and then she gave such a big tongue lashing to my classmates that during the break they all caught me and said what wrong have we done we just said <laughs> who was you to read it the entire book so that's how you know i remember that but uh, yes i also seen the movie and i think uh, you know the way daniel de lewis acted also the music in the movie you know then when i saw the book come alive you know i find i kind of you know found it you know fascinating that's how you know i like that book so maybe you learn yeah maybe um <laughs> yeah don't be the class swat yeah so uh, otherwise your mates give you a kicking for that so yeah that's uh, that's good that's a fantastic lovely story and then things fall apart right. what what is that about things fall apart uh, will is a beautiful story it basically talks about uh, africa it talks about you know a socio economic situation you know describes you know how the tribes live and then they have basically had this uh, sacred ground so to speak you know visitor you no know, evil spirits would come and you know they didn't you know basically uh, go there for fear of you know evil spirits and then i think uh, you know some christian missionaries you know landed there once and since you know these guys uh, you know thought you know that if nothing else you know we can give them the, you know this haunted ground you know uh, you know this sacred space you know for them was haunted ground so you yeah. know can we give them so the missionaries you know took that nothing happened to them then i think you know they built a chapel right and that just led to you know a complete uh, busting of myths you know and then they realized you know that you could have a lot of myths in your mind carried over for generations 
and somebody comes in you know and just build something and suddenly the myths get busted so it was a very good uh, exposition on you know how to you know get rid of uh, you know some myths which have just been carried across through generations but which don't have any scientific basis and which can you know drag you back yeah. so i found that you know fascinating you know from that perspective hey i think that's a wonderful place maybe for us to finish because i think um you know isn't it true that in insurance there are maybe a lot of myths that that hold the industry back and generally actually in all industries not just insurance but in, in yeah. financial services and everywhere and um, yeah. it does often take just some bravery or it takes an outsider's perspective to come in and realize that things are possible um things can change and um there is an opportunity for growth so um great what a great place to leave our conversation um deepu i would like to say thank you so much sir for spending this time with us and sharing your experiences and and educating me on all things india and the various things that you've done and achieved it's really fantastic um if um people want to find you where would they find you on social media and on the internet and such right so we'll uh, firstly uh, you know thank you as i said the pleasure is mutual it was wonderful talking to you lovely questions and i really enjoyed the conversation and i hope you know the audience finds value in this mm. if people want to connect with me i am there on linkedin uh, you know go to linkedin kvdipu i'm there i'm there on twitter i'm also there on uh, facebook i'm also there on instagram uh, i'm quite uh, you know active on social media if so if people want to connect with me and they want to ask any questions you know please feel free to do so always happy to you know share uh, knowledge i'll just share one small anecdote uh, will on knowledge when i was in uh, when i when i when i began working in ge you know one of my managers told me he said if we exchange one coin each we are still left with one coin each but if we exchange one idea each we are left with two ideas each hmm. that was a very good illustration of how you know knowledge goes through distribution while wealth may not and that's why i'm very happy to you know share knowledge in case somebody wants to reach out to me wow that's a uh... There we go. Well, that's a lovely sentiment. Um, thank you very much for sharing that. That's very kind. Um, brilliant. So, KV Deepu, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Will, and have a wonderful day ahead. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. We also have a newsletter on our website talentequals.com so you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.